you turn with me tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, to the ninth chapter of Deuteronomy. We come to the final verses of this chapter this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 25 through 29. You would turn there with me in your Bible at this time. Deuteronomy 9, 25 through 29. We've been reflecting upon the fact that Israel didn't receive the land because of their merit. They were a, a stubborn people, a stiff-necked people who were quick to turn aside out of the way. But tonight we're going to reflect on Moses' intercession for them. So would you stand together out of reverence for the reading of God's word? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now this is the holy word of God, inerrant, inspired, and eternal from Deuteronomy 9, 25 through 29. So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness for they are your people in your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word tonight. Please be seated. The title of our message tonight um, is The Essence of Intercession. And we're going to, to work through our text a little bit differently than usual although we're still going to have three different headings. Um, first, we're going to consider the intercession of Moses, and in the light of his intercession, we're going to establish three uh, principles that sort of begin to shed light on the essence of intercession for us. Then secondly, we're going to consider the intercession of Nehemiah just briefly. And finally, we're going to consider the inter intercession of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Um, each of these examples will help to shed light on the essence of intercession. Now, when we speak about intercession, uh, we're referring to the action of intervening on behalf of another through prayer. Uh, that's the idea that we have in mind. And it would be hard to find a, a clearer illustration of intercession than Moses uh, here in our text. Um, he was... He was always interceding on behalf of Israel, imploring the Lord for their sake. I mean, that was especially the case after their stubbornness and sin at Sinai. Uh, this, this drove Moses to plead uh, with the Lord uh, to have mercy. 
In response to uh, their fashioning a golden calf, the Lord said to Moses, Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So the the anger and hot displeasure of the Lord burned against the wickedness of this people. Then Moses lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin that Israel had committed. He was so grieved and overwhelmed on account of what they had done, the evil that they had done in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Moses was was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against them. He knew that the Lord was ready to destroy them, and so he implored the Lord through prayer. As it says in verse 25 of our text, So I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord had said he would destroy them. Now, there are, there are three motivations um, in Moses' prayer that begin to shed light on the essence of intercession for us. And the first motivation um, is a love for the people of God. In verse 26, it says, And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He says something similar in verse 29, for they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. This isn't just anyone whom Moses is praying for. He's praying for God's people. He prays for the people of God because he loves them. This love for God's people is certainly produced by a love for God himself, a love for what God values and treasures. And indeed, there isn't anything more important on earth to God than his people. Obviously, we could say that his glory, his glory, but it's his glory accomplished in the redemption of his people. He has redeemed them to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He has led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. They are his holy heritage, the apple of his eye. And so anyone who, who loves the Lord will certainly love his people. They will love those whom he treasures. They will love the people of God. Is that not motivation enough to drive you to implore the Lord through prayer? If you see that his people are suffering, you see that they've stumbled into sin, if you see that they're running toward ruin, is that not enough to drive you to prayer? It was for Moses. He lay prostrate before the Lord out of love for his people. In the words of David, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
or in the words of John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. He loves the people of God. This love for God's people expresses itself clearly in Moses' act of self-sacrifice. Consider Moses in Exodus 32, verses 30 through 32. This is in the context of what has just taken place at Sinai. This is in the context of Moses imploring the Lord through prayer. In verses 30 through 32 of Exodus 32, it says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Is this not the heart of one who loves the people of God? If you won't forgive them, blot me out of the book that you have written. Is it any wonder that Moses would implore the Lord through prayer? Because of all of the sin that Israel has committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to drive him to anger, Moses lay prostrate before the Lord in prayer. Now the second motivation for Moses' prayer is his faith in God's covenant promises. Look at verse 27 in our text. Moses pleads with the Lord, remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Don't look upon their stubbornness. Don't look upon their sin. Remember your covenant promises. In Exodus 32, 13, Moses implores the Lord, saying, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Andrew Stewart writes, God has promised that he would multiply their descendants and make them into a great nation and give them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. God made these promises to the patriarchs, even though they and their children were sinful people. Clearly implicit in these promises was a promise of grace to the undeserving. And Moses draws on that thread, which runs through God's dealings with Israel. Moses has faith in God's covenant promises. Is that not motivation enough to drive you to implore the Lord through prayer? If God has promised in his covenant to be gracious, 
And if his people whom you love are, are suffering, if they've stumbled or fallen into sin, if they're, if they're running toward ruin, is that not enough to drive you to prayer? It was for Moses. He lay prostrate before the Lord out of faith in his covenant promises. He implored the Lord to be gracious. Don't look at their stubbornness. Don't look at their wickedness. Don't look at their sin. Remember your covenant promises. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember your covenant promise that through their offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Remember that you have sworn by your very own self. Don't look upon the sins of the people, even though they have clearly acted rebelliously. Don't look upon their stubbornness, for they have quickly turned aside out of the way. Remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember your covenant promises. In Psalm 105, verses 7 through 11, the Holy Spirit speaks through the psalmist, saying, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Now the... The third motivation for Moses' prayer is his zeal for God's glory. Notice what it says in verse 28. In fact, let's pick up our reading in the second part of verse 27. It says, Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. John Currid comments on these verses as follows. There are two ways in which the destruction of Israel would call into question the character of God. In the first place, the Egyptians may conclude that Yahweh is powerless to do what he said he would do, namely, bring Israel into Canaan. And secondly, the Egyptians might assume that the exodus out of Egypt was actually motivated by God's hatred of Israel. Is that not motivation enough to drive you to implore the Lord through prayer? If God's glory is, is bound up in the redemption of his people, and if his people whom you love are suffering, if they've stumbled and they've fallen into sin, if they're running toward ruin, is that not enough to drive you to prayer? It was for Moses. He lay, he lay prostrate before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without any food or water. And he did so out of zeal for the glory of God. He did so out of, out of zeal for the glory of his name. He implored the Lord for his glory. 
don't let your enemies, almighty God, say that you're powerless to accomplish your purposes, to fulfill your covenant promises. Don't let them gloat. Don't let them say that the creator of heaven and earth, that the one who miraculously delivered his people from Egypt, that now he, he can't accomplish his purpose. For you brought Israel out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of your own inheritance. You have promised to bring them into the land, so, so disregard their stubbornness. Remember your glory. Remember how your glory is bound up in your people. Don't let your enemies, O oh gracious God, say that you have not loved your people with an everlasting love. For you set your love upon them and chose them, even though they were the fewest of all the people on earth. Don't let your enemies say that you hated them and you brought them out to destroy them. They are your portion. They are your, your heritage. They are your treasured possession. So disregard their stubbornness. Regard your glory. So these are our three motivations of Moses uh, that shed light on the essence of intercession for us. He implores the Lord through prayer because he loves his people. He implores the Lord through prayer because he has faith in his covenant promises. And he implores the Lord through prayer out of zeal for his glory. Now let's go ahead and look at another example of intercession. Namely, Nehemiah. And we don't have time to expound uh, Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. Um, but it would be helpful to take a few moment, moments to consider his example. It reinforces uh, the essence of intercession uh, drawn out of the motivations of Moses' prayer. Nehemiah, of course, was a, a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes around 445 B.C. And when he, uh, when he received a report about the remnant of God's people that was there in Jerusalem. It drove him to implore the Lord through prayer. The remnant there in the province who had survived uh, the exile was in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem was broken down. Its gates were destroyed by fire. And so much like Moses, Nehemiah was motivated to pray out of love for God's people. In Nehemiah 1.4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Compare this to Moses who lay, who lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. In verse 6, Nehemiah prays, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
Again, he prays in verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. They are the only ones on earth whom you have redeemed as your very own treasured possession. And so to, to see those whom I love suffering so, to see them so troubled and shamed on account of their sin, to see your servants running toward ruin compels me to implore you through prayer, says Nehemiah, if you will. Is not the, the love of God's people reason enough? Much like Moses, Nehemiah was motivated to pray out of faith in God's covenant promises. In verse 5, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He appeals to the God of the covenant. He knows that he is a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is the God of the covenant who doesn't forsake his people. Even though they've acted wickedly and corruptly and broken his laws, God has promised to extend forgiveness to those who repent. He has promised to be gracious and merciful. And so Nehemiah pleads with him to remember his covenant promises. In verses 8 through 9, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He implores the Lord to be gracious. He has faith in his covenant promises. And what is undergirding these these covenant promises, by the way? Go ahead and turn with me for a moment to Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 42. Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 42. And this is in the context of all of the curses that would fall upon those who broke the Mosaic law. But I want you to see what undergirds this promise of, of grace. Verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. He implores the Lord to remember his covenant promises. Even what Nehemiah is saying is ultimately undergirded by the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Finally, much like Moses, Nehemiah was motivated to pray out of zeal for God's glory. He revered the Lord of heaven. He feared his name, the the great and awesome God. 
is how he refers to him. The God who redeemed his people by his great power and strong hand. And so in verse 11, he says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Speaking about the king. It's ultimately out of a delight to fear God's name, out of reverence for God's name, the great and awesome God that Nehemiah implores the Lord through prayer. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, the Lord's name will be great. So the the essence of intercession from the motivations of Moses is also reinforced by Nehemiah. He implores the Lord through prayer because he loves his people. He implores the Lord through prayer because he has faith in his covenant promises. And he implores the Lord through prayer out of zeal for his glory. Now that brings us here tonight to our final example of intercession. The intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are only two passages of the New Testament that explicitly refer to our Lord with the language of intercession. There are other passages that help us to understand the intercession of our Lord, but only two passages explicitly mention this term to begin. The Holy Spirit says the following in Romans 8, 33-34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Again, in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Both of these passages, of course, describe our Lord interceding for his people in heaven, um, he, is, he is imploring his father continuously about all of the matters that pertain to his people. Everything that pertains to our everlasting happiness. Everything that pertains to our sanctification through the trials of life. Every single matter. The Lord Jesus is there in heaven with the father expressing his desires on behalf of his people. And we see a picture of that in Moses. We see a picture of that in Nehemiah. But our Lord is doing the very same thing with the same heart. We've already considered the intercession of Moses and Nehemiah. And both of those uh, examples shed light on the essence of intercession for us. Both were intervening on behalf of others through prayer. They were imploring the Lord through prayer. Uh, But now just consider with me, focus in with me on the intercession of Jesus. And perhaps the best way to uh, reflect upon his heavenly intercession at the Father's right hand is by considering his intercession for his people while he remained on earth. And of course, we had uh, Brother Bob read John 17 for us, which one commentator has referred to as the, the holy of holies, where you're entering into the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, praying. To his father, what an intimate, glorious picture we have of intercession. In the high priestly prayer of John 17, it's clear that our Lord was motivated 
out of love for his people. He doesn't, he doesn't pray for the entire world. He prays explicitly for those whom he loved to the end, for those whom he purchased with his blood. In John 17, 6, our Lord says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He's praying for the people of God. Then in verse 9, he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He loves the people of God. William Cunningham, the 19th century Scottish divine, writes, His intercession, indeed, did not extend to the world at large, to men indiscriminately, and neither, of course, did his love, strictly speaking. For what is intercessory prayer but just the truest and most genuine expression of Christian love? Those whom we do not pray for, we do not love. At least not as Christians ought. Our Savior expressly says that he did not pray for the world, but for those whom God has given him out of the world. He prays out of love for God's people. In other words, the intercession of our Lord is the clearest expression of love for God's people. This doesn't mean that we don't pray that unbelievers would be saved, that they would be converted, of course, we pray for our family members that they would be saved and converted. But I want you to see what's at the heart of the intercession that we're seeing in these examples. All those who belonged to the Father were given to the Son, and he loved them with an everlasting love. He implored his Father through prayer, and he lives forevermore to implore his Father through prayer. Much like the picture that we saw with Moses, the love of our Lord was expressed in self-sacrifice. For when the anger and hot displeasure of God burned against his people for their sin, Christ came to make atonement. He came to purchase them with his blood to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. He came to offer the perfect sacrifice on the basis of which he presently pleads for his people in heaven. He intercedes for them. He sits at the right hand of the Father as their, their righteous advocate. It is clearly the case that our Lord's prayer is motivated by love for God's people. Our Lord is also motivated to pray out of faith in God's covenant promises. For the Father has promised a peculiar people to his Son in the covenant of redemption. He has made a covenant of grace with Christ and the elect who are in him. And he has given Christ all authority to give eternal life to all who believe. To all those whom the Father has given to him. 
And so the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes out of faith in these promises, if you will. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Father, I desire. Notice the desires. Notice the desires. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me. Notice that he keeps appealing to the people the Father has given to him. That those whom you have given me, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Our Lord is interceding on behalf of God's people on account of God's covenant promises. Finally, our our Lord is motivated to pray out of zeal for God's glory. In John 17, 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. He's speaking about the cross. In verses 4 through 5, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Our Lord came to glorify his Father, By shedding his blood and purchasing a people for his own possession, he came to offer up his body once and for all as a sacrifice for sinners. He came to glorify his father, to fulfill the will of his father. It was his food to do the will of his father. But then he continues to intercede for his people out of zeal for God's glory. He desires that God's glory would be displayed in the redemption of his people. And it drives him to implore his father through prayer. He prays that the father would preserve those who have been given to him. That the father would keep them from the evil one. That the father would preserve them by his power through faith to the end. He desires that they also would be with him in his heavenly kingdom to see his glory as the eternal son of God. Is it not comforting to know that our Savior lives to intercede for us? Is it not comforting to know that the very same Savior who prayed on earth is occupied with pleading on our behalf at the right hand of God? He is there to plead for his people who should stumble and fall into sin. He is there to plead for all of our needs as he refines us and sanctifies us through trials that have sovereignly been sent. He is there to plead for our sanctification and our holiness, that we we would be conformed into his likeness. He steps forward as our advocate. He steps forward as our intercessor in all of the matters that pertain to his people. 
He prays out of love for the people of God. He prays out of faith in God's covenant promises. And he prays out of zeal for the glory of the triune God in our redemption. He pleads on behalf of his people. William Cunningham writes, The very object of Christ's intercession for his people is that he may thereby secure their final deliverance from sin and all its consequences, their restoration to God's image, and their admission to dwell forever in his presence. The realization of this, therefore, as actually taking place on our account, should fill us with peace and joy, should animate us to run in the way of God's commandments, should constrain us to abound yet more and more in fervent prayers and strenuous exertions after increasing holiness. What a wonderful comfort to know that our Savior lives to intercede for us, that he is imploring his Father through prayer regarding every one of his people's needs. In the light of these three examples in our text tonight, we can, we can summarize the essence of prayer as follows. It's the action of intervening for others through prayer out of love for God's people, faith in his covenant promises, and zeal for his glory. So let us all indeed be driven to intercede and let us bow before our gracious God and Father who delights to glorify himself through his people's intercession. Let us confess our sins and so far as it pertains to us, trusting in the priestly sacrifice and intercession of Jesus. And let us all strive by the grace that God supplies to implore the Lord through prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise your holy name. You are the great and awesome God, the God of the covenant, the God who freely forgives his people, the God who is gracious and long-suffering, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you for the redemption you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the redemption you have applied to the elect by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ, even now, lives to intercede for his people and that no one will snatch them out of his hand. We praise you and thank you for these precious gospel promises. May they strengthen our hearts to run the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. It is in